This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Ward Scott Files in Coach Hogg here. In Coach Hogg's locker room every Monday. Look forward to that. Having been in the sporting world for a while myself as a coach and as a player and as this, that, one, another is umpire, tennis umpire. So I got a little bit of what we're law. And uh, we're inside the Melton Law Studio in God's country in the piney woods of north central Florida, protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, and sponsored by all the great people you see coming up on the screen from time to time that we feature also at the bottom of the hour during our weather break, and also the people who donate to us who remain anonymous, but Sometimes we squeal on them and say who the great supporters of the show are. Um, Coach Hall's locker room is always interesting to me because I try to put the sports uh, in a context that is not just, if you will, about down and distance or um, who won the third set or that sort of thing. Because by a society sports, you can really judge a society's values. And you can see, of course, that the emphasis is always on winning. And um, therefore, it's on meritocracy. Sports really is the last uh, re- uh, refuge of meritocracy. In other words, if you pad the lineup with somebody who can't do the job, it's instantly uh, exploited by your opponent and uh, you end up losing. So you don't get anywhere in sports by practicing diversity, equity, and inclusion because it'll get you pummeled. So in sports, it often is the last bastion, if you will, of excellence. And where meritocracy, it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are, if you can do the job, we'll put you in the lineup and I'll let you have your shot at helping us win. Um, and coaches get very good at thinking about every detail that contributes to winning. And they... Uh, well, I can just let you in on a secret with some of the things we would do. If somebody in an opposing town wrote a negative story about our team, we cut that story out of that opposing town's newspaper and posted it in our weight room or along our order to the showers and highlighted it and said, see here what they say about you. And we use that to inflame the emotions of our players. Anything that would work, you know as we would do. I've covered Deion Sanders with you before. <clears throat> Excuse me. Deion is a winner. He's a very talented athlete. He was a winner in a couple of sports. And it's very difficult, first of all, to do that. But secondly, he did it and excelled in it. He played at FSU, of course. And then he went on and played uh, in the NFL. And then he played in uh the Major League Baseball world. So, and he's got charisma. 
uh, you know, he's always been uh, right out there on the cutting edge of knowing how to market himself. And uh, he calls himself the prime, prime time, prime time. And I think he kind of, I don't know if he's copyrighted it, but he might as well have. Now, you know, he is the head coach of the University of Colorado Buffaloes, which had a 1-11 and record, if you will. Can you imagine? And uh, that 1-11 of record when they hired Dion. And he's going, you know, he played at FSU. So he's going to Colorado where it snows and it gets cold and you can see, see the mountains and all that. And you wonder what in the world is he doing going there? What are his chances of getting anything done there? And uh, how is he going to uh, make an impact with something that is uh, as tenuous as uh, all this world of college football and its competitiveness is? So uh, he nevertheless is not uh, buffaloed, I don't like the pun, by that. He's not deterred by that. And now cometh a, an article about him. I covered with you how he has become very astute, probably always was, of course, at promoting. And he is employing all of the video platforms, uh, media things that are out there, Instagram, Facebook, everything. And he's hired a, a 24-7 videographer to follow the team around. It happens to be his oldest son. And they constantly bombard uh, all the information highways with news. Now, this is and, and, and this attracts the recruits uh, because the recruits are coming from that generation. They are on Instagram, chat, whatever, TikTok, and all that constantly. They know how to do it better than the adults do, of course. And so, when they see Dion marketing the Colorado Buffaloes, they realize that they can get in on that marketing and market themselves in the age of name, image, and in the age of name, image, and likeness, and their own monetary uh, monetization of their own skills. So now, of course, what he has done, he's under fire from, guess what? An atheist organization. They've called him out for sharing religious practices with players. I come on. I think the Supreme Court's already taken this up. But the Freedom from Religious Foundation sent a letter to the University of Colorado claiming that the team could be violating the Constitution through engaging in religious exercises led by coaches. Uh, this group pointed to two instances where this allegedly happened. Uh, a staff member leading other staff members in prayer and Coach Sanders instructing another staff member to initiate a prayer for the players. You know, it's funny because I have a friend who had sons and my friend and his wife deliberately brought their sons up to be atheists, being so themselves. And they thought, boy, you know, religion's one of these bad things. It becomes something that people beat each other over the head with. And, you know, the Christians take on the Muslims and uh, all this kind of business. So they thought, well, we'll raise our children uh, to be unencumbered by this sort of baggage. And my good buddy tells the story of being at a, uh, uh, 
I think it was a funeral uh, or a wedding, one of the two, I guess it was anyway, it was a religious ceremony in a church where they went, not that they attended, but they went for the ceremony of, of the deceased or the, of the, 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 the about to be married. And they had the Lord's Prayer. And my buddy's son started reciting along with the congregation, the Lord's Prayer. And after the ceremony was over, the event was over, uh, my buddy asked his son, where did you learn the Lord's Prayer? And my buddy's son said, football. Hello, football. So the Freedom From Religion Foundation, as if anyone could ever have such a thing, Atheism is a religion, I would argue, uh, said that this is something that is a no-no. The organization claimed that a staff member led the players in prayer uh, after being directed by Sanders. And the prayer allegedly said, Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, for this opportunity as a group. Father, we thank you for the movement that God has put us in place to be in charge of, we thank you, you eat for each player here, each coach, each family. In Jesus' name, we pray. There's one of the bind fields in the prayer. And uh, uh, this was, of course, offensive to the uh, uh, atheist organization. And they stated that uh, Dion had coerced uh, this prayer to be led by the staff. And it made the players possibly feel uncomfortable. Um, and therefore, they had to say the prayer in order to really, implication was, get in the lineup. You don't pray, you don't play. Uh, I've never known that to happen myself. Uh, we, we'll, hey, hey, if you can help us win, we'll waive all that, believe me. Short of getting arrested on the field. And you know the joke about that. Uh, the player, the players at University of Tampa, which Coach Kersey assembled, were all dropouts, kickouts, rejects, troublemakers at other schools. You had snooze with the twos there, dance with the twos, whatever it was, the two sack. You had Sammy Gildersted, who got kicked out of Alabama. You had all these guys come there. So the joke was it was made up of rejects from other schools, but they were great players. And the story goes that one day a man came along and came in the coaches, a young man came along and sought out Coach Kersey and said, I'd like to try out. And being the school it was in a IA, um, Kersey said, put on a uniform and go out there. So the, the, this is the way I heard the story. It fits. So this player went out on the huddle. And shortly after the player had gone to the huddle, along came the law. And the law said, you know, we're looking for this escaped convict. And we have reason to believe he might be here with your team. And so Coach Kersey sent word according to the st player's story, so keep this in, in your minds, uh, to the huddle that uh, there might be the law coming out to take a look at him, and one of them might be wanted by the law. And the story goes that the players looked at each other and said, well, that could be any of us. That's always my favorite, favorite football story. That is beyond doubt 
my favorite football story. So I, <laughs> the coercive nature of the staff-led prayer um, is, is, now, is now being challenged. And what Coach uh, Sanders is doing, it just can't be fair. Um, the university evidently responded, stating that Coach Sanders had undergone, get this now, get this, this is so funny. Now, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, Deion Sanders, of course, is, is a black guy. Uh, and, and the university responded, stating that Coach Sanders had undergone training with the <laughs> with the Office of Institutional Institutional Equity and Compliance, and quote, he was unquote very receptive, and had he quote came away from it with a better understanding of the University of Colorado's policies and the requirements of the establishment clause. End quote. No wonder they got a 1-11 record. My God. Oh, my God. Oh, my golly. Now, there's something called the First Liberty. I'm pardon me if I guffaw. I can't help it. The First Liberty Institute is an organization. And I, I doubt you ever heard these things, but defends religious liberty. Well, they rebuffed uh, the criticism of this atheist group and uh, warned the school don't you dare censor Coach Sanders, because as the coach, he does not lose, quote unquote, he does not lose his constitutional uh, <laughs> right to free edu- exercise of religion simply because he is an employee at Colorado University. Um, and the organization cited what I just referenced a moment ago, the Supreme Court's case. Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, a case in which the Supreme Court concluded that the First Amendment protects prayer on school grounds and that government entities are not permitted to punish an individual for doing so. And there you have it. Huh? Huh? Wow. I'm telling you, uh, it don't get no better than that, my friends. It really is fascinating what goes on. And this is my point about why I do Coach Hogg's locker room the way I do it. Sports do not take place in a vacuum. Now, just to give you kind of a contrasting, uh, how shall I describe this? <clears throat> Testimony of Bureaucratic madness. I'm going to remind you that the number one tennis player in the world is Novak Djokovic. Now, Novak Djokovic, for those of you who don't follow tennis, you nevertheless follow COVID, I'm sure. And you follow open borders, I'm sure. Novak Djokovic is a Novaxer. Last year, he was not allowed to enter Australia to participate in the Australian Open, if my memory serves me right, because he would not vaccinate for COVID. He still hasn't vaccinated for COVID, and he never will vaccinate for COVID. Therefore, Novak Djokovic 
cannot come into the United States of America. Formerly, and I'm going to use that word formally, because there are many thousands of people who are coming in informally, and you don't know whether they're vaccinated or not, nobody cares. But Novak Djokovic formally withdrew from the Indian Wells Open coming up, which is a California tournament, big one, big one, because the United States of America, who lets thousands in every day, will not let him in because he does not have the COVID-19 vaccine. And if he were to apply for a waiver, which he hasn't done, that might have even been turned down. He's from Serbia. He's unvaccinated. And he applied to the U.S. last month for special permission to play at this ATP Masters event at Indian Wells and then go on to Miami, where the next tournament is. And he's turned down. Huh? Now, the play begins this Wednesday at Indian Wells. And it runs through March 19th, and the draw is today. Rick Scott from Florida wrote on Twitter that Homeland Security had rejected Dokovic's vaccine waiver request. Scott and Marco Rubio wrote a letter to Uncle Joe urging him to grant the request. And get this, the U.S. is ending, formally ending, its COVID-19 emergency declaration on May 11th, which will then allow foreign air travelers to enter the country without being vaccinated. Now, the obvious thing, it seems to me, that Djokovic could do, travels by private plane anyway, fly into Mexico, fly into Tijuana, and just cross the border, or fly in and cross the border to Texas, just cross the border, and then jump in your private vehicles and go to Indian Wells. I think it'd be a magnificent political statement. Uncle Joe would be forced to let him go. As it is now, Uncle Joe never okayed Rick and Mark, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio's request, or Djokovic wouldn't have withdrawn. He said. Novak Djokovic is a 22-time Grand Slam champion. So this is the Associated Press reporting this. I, I, I thought I'd heard all the COVID stories. The anti-vaxxers believe that you were, if you were vaccinated very soon, if you haven't already, 
you'll have a three-headed baby growing out of your deltoid where they put the needle. I mean, it's just all over the place. But the point is, why don't you why don't you stop the porous border if this is what you're all concerned about? Is this really what you're concerned about? It's, it, it's just nuts. Meanwhile, and you know this, across the border is pouring the narco-terrorist illicit drugs. It's incredible. And under international law, according to William Barr, a government has a duty to ensure that lawless groups don't use its territory to carry out predation against its neighbors, which they're doing. Which is shorthand for if Mexico won't confront these drug cartels, the United States has a right to go in there and get them because their goal is to undo us. They're a national security threat. It's not even a law enforcement matter, William Barr argues. The narco-terrorist groups are more like ISIS than they're like the American mafia. So Barr says the only way to defeat them is to go after them with the military. And you saw, I think we did it Friday, the jail in El Salvador where there are going to be 40,000 MS-13 gang prisoners and they're going to throw the key away. They're tired of it. You know, does anybody with, does anybody out there in, besides me think it's crazy? I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And you've got no better example of it than the poorest borders. And contrast that with the moratorium on Djokovic entering the United States. Oh boy, I don't know. I've got it, it's 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 crazy. It is really crazy. Meanwhile, you know the pitch clock I reported on last week. It has been put in play and it's cut twenty minutes off of the games in the uh, spring training. Uh, just to give you, Associated Press has covered this. Um, um, by the time the Cubs outfielder Brennan Davis actually saw a pitch from Arizona's Joe. Mantiply, the count was already a ball and a strike. And the reason is both the hitter and the pitcher were penalized at the start of Davis's at bat to lead off the top of the third ending of Monday's spring training game. Uh, uh, the, after the pitcher entered the game as a reliever, he took too long to throw his warm up pitches. Then Davis was too slow to get ready for the pitch. So it's uh, so far it's working. Um, the new rules have limited the number of times a pitcher can throw to first base even. And all this has helped cut more than 20 minutes 
from spring training games through the first weekend, and it's dropped uh, an average of three hours, one minute last spring, to two hours and 39 minutes. So that's, that's maybe after a while I won't call baseball boreball. Um, uh, however, I am, pre- I am increasingly interested in the University of Florida baseball team. Um, those guys, are, are I think they have exceptional talent, um, pretty impressive players. And I'm beginning actually begrudgingly to start watching them um, because I do get up and take a nap. Generally, here's my here's my role model. My grandfather used to either listen or view uh, the the baseball games on either well, it was on television uh, back in the day. Uh, so he either was watching or listening or neither because he would doze off in his big overstuffed chair. And I used to love to go up and watch him sleeping through the game and then ask him to score. And invariably he knew. So he could, he could actually nap during the Chicago Cubs or whatever team was on the TV. Maybe it was Brooklyn Dodgers and actually not miss anything. So Borball has been working away at dealing with this. It's uh, is it going to be interesting to see uh, if these new rules would have kept my grandfather from uh, napping in his overstuffed chair. But so far, it has shaved off 20 minutes in that spring game. Um, it is, um, it is, is, it is uh, something to keep an eye on and uh, see. Hasn't come to college yet. Um, uh, but they're calling people out for pitch clock violations. Uh, um, and, of course, if you've got a guy who's a strikeout king, you don't even need to apply the doggone thing. Uh, some of these guys in college, I'm watching the Gators are throwing that ball up almost at 100 miles an hour, 97, 98 miles an hour. So um, that's pretty impressive. And But every once in a while, they're also hitting somebody. So – um, how would you like to get hit, you know, with that 98-mile-an-hour fast fastball? Well, I got a, I got a, several more stories I'm going to cover. Coach Hogg's locker room. It's going to go um, um, past our bottom-of-the-hour break here. But I do want to point out to you uh, that women's basketball has really taken off. And the SEC championship yesterday – and, uh, was packed. And I am so happy to see that. You know, I don't know if we'll ever get that to happen here at the University of Florida because there just is not the, the, the effort behind it by the community that it deserves. Now, it's going to be tough for this coach, Finley, to recruit when you've got nation in the nation, women's basketball is becoming so interesting. The Southeastern Conference is another article I picked off the AP. The Southeastern Conference led the nation in women's basketball attendance for the sixth women's women, as Truman Capote used to say, women's basketball attendance. For six consecutive, the sixth consecutive season, be ready for this, 900 
24,471 fans. Um, South Carolina, and there are players on South Carolina's team, which went undefeated this year and won the SEC tournament, who have been there for three years and have only in those three years experienced three defeats. That's one a season. Well, actually, it had to be a little two on one season because they experienced none this season so far. South Carolina led the nation in home attendance for the sixth straight season. Are you ready for this? 12,208 fans per game. Per game. Tennessee was sixth in the nation with 8,645. Of course, this was all started by Pat Summit. Um, South Carolina has led the nation in attendance in 24 of the last 26 seasons. Now, eight SEC schools are ranked in the top 50. Now, this takes into account Connecticut, Stanford, all these places were ranked in the top 50 for average home attendance. Four of them are listed in the top 25. Number one, South Carolina. As we said, 12,218. Sixth is Tennessee, 8,645. Eighth is Mississippi State with 7,681. 19th is Kentucky, 4,756. 27th is Missouri, 3,832. 28th is Texas A&M, 3,798. 35th is Georgia. 3,411, and Arkansas, 39, No mention of the University of Florida. Financially speaking, I'm just going to be blunt with you. There are not enough fans coming to the University of Florida ladies basketball game to, fet, to pay for opening the exact tech center. Okay, so something's got to give. Something has got to give. The coach, six hundred so thousand a year, got to recruit. Got to really bring in, and there, there, there are they got them in the nation. Six four, six five women. I think South Carolina has a, a six seven. Now, even in all-game attendance, home road in neutral South Carolina was the first. Everywhere they go, they draw a crowd. Um, So this is something to keep your eye on. I'm a supporter of women's sports, and I've been a supporter particularly of the Lady Gator basketball team. But you can... You, you can't. You can take the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So you've got to get 
somehow, some way, this brand promoted and beefed up to where you can make these rankings or you're going to never, the way this stuff works, unless you can find a Deion Sanders who can, and, the, and if Deion Sanders wins big at Colorado this year, he takes that team from one victory and 11 losses to, imagine if he really turns it around, people going to be copying what Deion Sanders does. They're going to be finding, looking for coaches like him. And, of course, at the at South Carolina, you've got Don Staley, who is arguably the best women's coach for basketball, well, in the country, even beating out male coach from Colorado, I mean, from Connecticut, and even spoken about in the same breath as Pat Summit. That's saying a lot. I'm going to take a break at the bottom of the hour and be right back with a little more Coach Hogg's locker room. Imagine that. You're right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. The warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We're actually still in Coach Hogg's locker room because there's so many interesting things to talk about today. 
in a sporting world, which of course never takes place in a vacuum. But the weather right now is brought to you by Lewis Oil, a great supporter of Chevron stations. Um, listen, it's a weird it's a weird world right now. We're going to be up to 90, well, 89 degrees. Let's call it 90 today here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. We had a wonderful rain this weekend. I'm going to start having to mow. Uh, I, you know, the cattle are out there going crazy. They love the fresh grass. Um, you know, it is, and then the rest of the country has got this crazy stuff going on. Winter weather is going to ramp up in the Midwest and the Northeast. Uh, there's going to be snow from Michigan to New York. Um, they're still having the airlift help into parts of California. Um, it's it's a strange it's a strange dichotomy we've got here, and it looks as if it's going to maybe one more time here in our neck of the woods, as they say. Uh, we'll get a little bit of a front come through this next weekend, but it won't freeze. That's my big concern. That'll put frost on the ground, but it doesn't look now as if it's going to. So um, there you are. Uh, Ward's weather is once again a mixed bag. Uh, depending upon where you are, you're either getting delightful early summer weather almost, or you're you're snowed in and can't get out to get the uh, soup and crackers even. Um, in the world of sports, I was talking with production over the um, break here. You can't hear us talking, but um, they, my good buddy, uh, they, uh, brought up the Super Bowl. Well, you and I know what an extravaganza the Super Bowl is. It's just filled with basically entertainments. And it's always got the latest entertainment attraction. It's got uh, somebody singing the national anthem. It's got the flyovers. It's got all the drama. And you think, my, and all the salaries and all that. And you think, my golly, these guys, quote unquote, as we say in the country, live high on the hog. Well, uh, Andrew Beaton from the uh, Wall Street Journal has published a survey uh, that it's an NFL player survey about, of all places, work, place, of all things, work, place, culture. Work, place, culture. An important word there is culture. Because the workplace is just not the green grass or the artificial green grass that you play or practice on. Colleges know this. The University of Florida, in trying to keep up with the Joneses, has to spend as least as much or outspend, say, Louisa Anna State University, LSU, on player accommodations. What are we talking about? We're talking about weight rooms. We're talking about playrooms. We're talking about this whole world available to the player off the field. Creature comforts like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I've been working out lately pretty heavily on my legs and my legs began tired. I've got a hot tub. Um, your, uh, um, I had to get in it. 
I mean, I was so full of aches and pains. At the University of Florida, my God, it's all of it. Hot tub, massages, just that wing another. Guess where it isn't available? You guessed it, in the NFL. And guess who ranks dead last on this NFL player survey? The Washington, formerly known. That reminds me of the of Prince who was changed his name, the guitar player. The Washington Commanders, formerly known as the Washington Redskins. That name was a change to accommodate the whiny mouth woke. Okay? But what didn't change was the treatment of the players. Now, and they're Amenities. Now, in case you didn't know it, Andrew Beaton has written in his column that there are eight categories that the player survey evaluates the product by. And they include the treatment of the players' families, nutrition, the training staff, the team travel. And in just those three categories, the Washington Commanders got an F. Now, there were 1,300 players from across the league that squealed on these franchises, which are worth, by the way, billions of dollars. There are vast gaps in the quality from team to team. Here are some of the things this survey revealed. Three clubs, according to the survey, don't serve their players dinner. Well, my God, we know there's a training table at the University of Florida. Eat till you drop. Okay. Six teams make some of their players, are you ready for this? Share hotel rooms on the road games. The Bengals were the lone team that didn't offer their players nutritional supplements. And one of two that doesn't give them vitamins. Hello. Now, other issues that the players flag teams on. Are you ready for this? Rat infestation. Uh, Guess where that is? Jacksonville. Cold tubs that aren't cold. Hot tubs that are gross. Get this one. Players' wives having to nurse their babies on the... My God, listen to this. Players' wives having to nurse their babies on the floors of public restrooms because their teams lack a room for players' families. 
Now, there are some teams that do some amazing things. The Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings. They opened a new practice facility in 2018. Practice. That received an A grade in every category. And said that the Vikings are, quote, a shining example of what is possible when a concerted investment is made in both staffing and facilities. There you go. I have always contended that Jacksonville was not ready and still isn't for a primetime NFL football team. But at the bottom of the heap are the Washington commanders, formerly known as the Redskins. Their training room gets an F. Their locker room gets an F. Their team travel categories get an F. The complaints include small, hot and cold tubs, cramped locker rooms, a lack of warm water in the showers and poor drainage. The club owner, Dan Snyder, rank, they rank him 31st in the category of club ownership. If you recall, this is the place that Steve Spurrier went to be a coach and couldn't stand it. Only 22% of the Washington Commanders players responded. And they all stated that they hadn't got enough space even on the team flights. And the Commanders don't offer their players first-class seats. Furthermore, they make players bump with roommates on the road. My God. I remember I was down at Tampa one time. You know, when I was a coach, I was down there and looking at that team and got to know the players real well. And I was inside the dorm where the players were. And I don't know, we'd crawl in one of these bunks to take a nap. And uh, I was out there for a couple of days and I had a lot of buddies on the team. I woke up and there's a guy in the bed with me, one of the defensive tackles, great guy. I liked the hell out of him. But, you know, he just crawled in. I mean, there wasn't any place else to go. Well, this is Tampa. But we're talking about the Washington Commanders. I've got guys doing that. Uh, it's got poor grades in every category, but one. There's one category the Commanders, formerly known as the Redskins, have an A, a grade, and that's in strength coaches. There you go. Um, the Arizona Cardinals were dead last, just ahead of the commanders. Um, uh, they thought they, in Arizona's weight room, uh, the, there's, it's a safety hazard, has uneven floors. Floorboards are peeling up. Um, the survey also noted that the Arizona Cardinals team, a policy of deducting dinner from players' checkbooks if they want to get food from the facility. My God. So when you look at the Super Bowl and all the glitter, and all, you know, what's that old saying? Uh, 
all it glitters is not gold. Well, I guess that applies here. The Los Angeles Chargers, they ranked 30th. They're in a temporary facility. Um, everything there is going to hell in a handbasket, evidently. They constantly complain about the hot, hot tubs being gross. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, it has the rat infestation. Oh, my God. Well, it's down by the river. Um, their report said that for three to four weeks, there were rats in the locker room and the hampers. And at Jacksonville, along with the Bengals, drew complaints of players' wives having to nurse their babies on the floors of public restrooms, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that neither Jacksonville or, 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 or the Bengals spokespeople would reply to uh, Mr. Beaton and the uh, coverage of these uh, surveys here. Um, uh, the Miami Dolphins do okay. Las Vegas Raiders do okay. Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you would think the Dallas Cowboys would be the state of the art. Um, report also noted that teams that didn't eat up too much of players' days were rewarded. Uh, how do you efficiently use the time uh, of the day for the players? But these good grades don't necessarily correlate with winning. The Super Bowl champion Chiefs finished 29th in the survey about accommodations. Ah, uh, the horror. For Coach Hogg's locker room, this has been one of the more interesting Coach Hogg's locker rooms I've had. Uh, not sure I would tell that bunkmate story too often. Ken, I mean, you got to be transparent. I mean, it was, uh, and I like, I like Roberts. He was a good kid. <laughs> he was a big old boy, about 280 pounds. But, you know, I was pushed over against the wall there, my man. Anyway, hey, you and I went to military school. We know what it's like, brother. Um, <laughs> let's talk about a guy I never really liked much. It's just me, Aaron Rodgers. I, I never did. You know, I, it just wasn't one of my favorites. But the Green Bay Packers, you're talking about money and, you know, where you spend it. and You know, it's crazy the way they spend it. You know, they spend all for, on somebody like Pat on Rodgers. Now, Rogers obviously has been considered to be at the end of the road uh, of usefulness to the Green Bay world, but he's got the doggone much. They got so much money invested in him. It boils down to how lots of times these teams do their accounting. Um, so, you know, the, the, you know how you pay and when you pay and what, what your source of the money to pay with is. But to cut to the point here, if they trade Rogers. Um, it would still count for 40 million, roughly 40 million, 40.3 million. Of course, 40.3 million is 0.3 matters there um, against the Packers' salary cap. And that's cash they have already paid him, but it hasn't been accounted for yet because of the way they constructed the deal with him. So it's what's considered to be a gigantic amount of dead money that they're not going to be able to spend on other players. Uh, you, you know there's all kinds of accounting trickery. And, and I have a friend who watches this show from time to time who is an accountant, retired accountant. 
And um, he was, <laughs> he, he doesn't like Trump, for one thing, I know. And so he was critical of Trump's accounting practices. Well, how about the NFL's accounting practices? Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to talk about accounting practices, what what is the, what is the deal here? Uh, <laughs> because of the way the deal is constructed with Rodgers, there's all this dead money that they won't be able to spend on other players. Uh, 18% of the $224.8 million salary cap for 2023. So as these players get deeper into their contracts, a move, the cost of moving a player uh, typically decreases. But with Rodgers, what's so weird about the accounting is that actually the dead money goes up the next year, so it's going to increase. So if Rodgers came back to Green Bay and decided to move on in 2024, either via a trade or retirement, the figure would increase to $68.2 million. So they don't have any good options with Rodgers. Um, they don't know what to do with the dude. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's so wild. You know, meanwhile, you got rats in the hot tub. <laughs> well, uh, they don't. Uh, uh, and furthermore, the team that uh, might acquire Rodgers could have him on the books for under $16 million if they prorate the rest of this over the future years. Um, and, you know, it is crazy. Um, you know, so money. What started me was my conversation with my good friend, whom you can't see in the production world. We were talking at the bottom of the hour break about all the glitter that we see in the Super Bowl. All the Super Bowls. You know, all these high-paid people and um, jet flyovers and all this kind of stuff. And yet we got we got rat-infested hot tubs. <laughs> oh, my God. And we got players that have got more money than the law allows, should allow, uh, about to break the bank because they've got their team and their owners over a barrel because of the deal they had to make to get them. And now that they're worn out and need to go, they're going to end up paying for somebody they can't use. And whoever picks him up is going to have to pick up the tab and have to do some more strange accounting at the end of that player's useful life. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is just absolutely fascinating how this stuff is manipulated. I mean, it's, it's, um, I'm looking at chat here and see if there's any, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, buddy. Halftime and disgusting. Yeah. Well, halftime is halftime. It's all more money paid. Um, Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. I've got some more stories. We're about out of time. I might not start another story um, uh, on the on the uh, on the, uh, on the uh, so we only got a few minutes left. Really did a whole uh, Coach Hogg's locker room. Um, I think I'll end with this. Um, it's a story I've been wanting to work in uh, to this show. <laughs> you know, we're very much involved in a voter beep and all that stuff. And we've got a story that we really got us interested with my great buddy, Mark uh, Blazer, about um, TJ Piche going into the jail during COVID to sign up people who weren't eligible to vote. 
Well, this occurred back when uh, a few days ago when Chicago was uh, voting for who their next mayor would be. And it came out in the Daily Mail that in a story that I met to run a little bit earlier. Uh, Chicago inmates claimed that they were pressured to illegally vote in the city's mayoral, mayoral election. The inmates, some of who are accused of murder, said that the guards at the Cook County Jail were pushing them to vote, despite some being registered even in a different jurisdiction. And uh, they claimed that the guards were receiving orders from higher up and were just doing what they were told. Um, This is the very essence of something you've heard us talk about, ballot harvesting. Uh, The jail is an ideal place to ideal environment uh, to ballot harvest. Um, um, it is, it is, um, there they are. You got them. Let's go around and sign them up. No doubt that's what TJ Pichet was doing, uh, allegedly doing. Was this going to come to trial? And uh, it was being backed by Zuckerbucks. We've covered all that story. Um, so, uh, you know, there was, this is, this is uh, um, when the guards were asked about this, the guards said, we're just doing what we're told. Um, there was one inmate who was being held on murder charges. He says that 21 of the 48 inmates in his cell block had already voted, but none was even asked if he was registered or eligible to vote. Huh? Huh? And we're actually being kicked off of YouTube, have been kicked off of YouTube, Ward Scott Files, for, be, for, for daring to question the conventional narrative that there was no voter beep. Huh? Come on. Are you kidding me? My guys, I mean, we know it. There are 7,480 inmates in the Cook County Jail. 72% are black. 19% Latino, 7.8% white. And their offenses range from murdering, carjacking, to sexual assault, armed robbery. And the Chicago voters were out there saying that violent crime was off the charts in Chicago. And meanwhile... They're in there trying to get the criminals to vote. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. There you go. I'm out of time. i got a little time to run that story. Wow. We know. We know about that here locally in the Alachua County Jail. And that happened before uh, the current sheriff was sheriff. It happened under the watchful eye of the previous sheriff. Huh? Wow. Wow. Have a great day. I will Warthog Command Center out.